This morning we're going to continue in our Christmas series that we started last week, Christmas Upside Down. Christmas Upside Down. We started last week by looking at some of the circumstances that surrounded the birth of Jesus. One of the things that we talked about was the fact that there's very little about the Christmases that we celebrate today that resembles what happened back in that day. So the, the, the trees and the twinkling, twinkling lights and the parties and the food, uh, none of that was in the Bible. Uh, our Christmases look very, very different. And one of the things that can happen is Christmas becomes this really familiar, comfortable time of the year. And I, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas time. I love the decorations. I love the gatherings. I love the food. I love most of the music. Um, there's a few songs that just need to not be played as much, but otherwise I enjoy the music. Uh, it's a fun time of the year, but it can become very familiar and comfortable. And what we can do is bring that familiarity and that comfortability uh, and overlay it over what we knew, know of the story of Jesus and his birth and the things that surrounded that time in history. And the reality is there's very little that was comfortable or easy or familiar or even a lot of fun in the Christmas story. If you've, if, if you've ever been pregnant, nine months pregnant, and gone on a road trip, you recognize that's not fun. That's not the optimal time to travel, yet that's something that's present in the story of the birth of Jesus. And so ask the question, why? Why did God choose for Jesus to be born when he was, the way that he was? Why, why did this whole story unfold that way. Wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus simply to come as a king? To simply come as a because that's what he was and that's what he is. Why wouldn't he just come as a king? And we talked about last week the fact that when he comes again, his second coming, that's exactly how he will come. He will come as a king and everyone will know. But his first coming, this first arrival of Jesus was quiet. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fanfare except for the angels and the, and the shepherds on the, in those fields. But there wasn't, no, there wasn't any huge proclamation and Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable, a cave, a, 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 a place where animals stayed. Laid in a manger, a place where animals ate. Why? Why would God do it this way? We find a clue, and we talked again about this last week in Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount. This moment in time and in history when Jesus does step forward and he starts to speak about his kingdom and what his kingdom is all about and what his kingdom looks like. And you realize pretty quickly as you listen to the words of Jesus that his kingdom did not look like and does not look like anything like the kingdoms of this world. For, for them in that time, it would have been the Roman Empire that was spreading throughout the known world, taking lands and, 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 and conquering people. And, and Caesar Augustus in that time was one of the greatest Caesars, and his kingdom it, it expanded and spread throughout the Mediterranean and that whole region. God's kingdom looked nothing like Caesar's kingdom. And so Jesus comes... And he starts speaking about his kingdom, and it quickly becomes obvious and evident 
that his kingdom stands in contrast to the kingdoms of this world, to the things that man has built and the things that man has established. And therefore, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Or really, what's more accurate is his kingdom is right-side-up, and what we live in is the part that's upside-down, the part that's broken, the part that's not accurate. And so Jesus comes as a baby to start painting a picture of what his kingdom is is like, that Jesus as a king was unlike any other king who's ever lived. So Jesus, at this entrance on the Sermon on the Mount, begins talking about his father's kingdom after having given this kind of the setup from his childhood and from his birth. By the way, one of the reasons that uh, Jesus was born the way he was and, and, and in, the, in the manner he was, in the place he was and grew up the way he did was to fulfill prophecy. See, God knew, because God knows everything, that there would be those who would say, oh no, he's not really God. And there are those who still say that. Jesus was just a good teacher and a nice guy. And I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He, get, he can't be a good teacher or just a good person and say the things that he did. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He's either a, a lunatic or he's Lord, but he can't be both. And so he fulfills Old Testament prophecy one after the other after the other through his entire through the entire process of his birth and his growing up so that there would be no argument there would be no way to say well this isn't real the number of prophecies fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ is staggering and so Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 at the introduction of this kingdom to us says these words blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, and there's many, many more verses in these passages that talks about as he talks about his kingdom and sets things in order. Many of the, 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 the statements that Jesus makes over these next chapters and these next verses, he says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And he starts painting a very different picture of what God views as the issues that face us in our daily lives. But here's this little snapshot, and Jesus saying, my kingdom, I'm ushering in my Father's kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. And he uses this word blessed, which uh, the, the, the loosest translation is, is the word happy. We would translate it as happy. It goes much deeper than that, but, but we'll, we'll start there. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the persecuted. Happy are those who mourn. It seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It seems counterintuitive, yet Jesus is introducing an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that is opposite to what we know and what we are familiar with. Like I said, we get familiar with Christmas. It's an easy thing to just settle in and go, I, oh, I know the Christmas story, or we make statements like, well, we need to put Christ back in Christmas, 
which is, which is not untrue, but we can miss the deeper meaning of why Jesus came. You know that you can say that, right? We need to put Christ back in Christmas and do it in such an unloving way, right? And, and Jesus goes, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Jesus knew and he told us that people would miss him, would miss who he was and who he is. And people are still missing him. And rather than being fired up with this zeal, there needs to be a heart of compassion. I'm on a total tangent, but let's get back. See, God's kingdom, his king, the kingdom of heaven is something that he's offering to us. Blessed are you if you have all of these things. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is offering to us and saying, I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to participate in this kingdom that I am establishing here on earth that already exists in heaven. He's called us not to, to just be part, but to possess it. That we're not just spectators, but that we have ownership in this kingdom. The Bible tells us that we are heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, that we get to participate in the work of the kingdom. We get to, with our lives, with our very lives, promote and advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So Christmas is not about spectating and just appreciating, well, Jesus did a great thing. Christmas is an invitation for us to jump in and be part of what he initiated at that time. It's clearly seen for us in the life of a young virgin named Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and following it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth being her cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I love this next verse. Mary was great, greatly troubled at, these, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, pause, pause here for a second. You, you ever been in a place where someone says something to you and you know that it's a setup, right? You're saying something right now, but I know there's something else coming. You're, you're setting me up. You're about to ask me something, and, and you, there's that part of you that's troubled where you're going, okay, you're saying words, but what do you really want, right? What's really going on? I think there's a little bit of this going on with Mary. She's going, this isn't a normal greeting, What's really going on here? Outside of the fact there's an angel standing and talking to, they're talking to her, right? What's really going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'll read that again. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to, to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What an amazing encounter. Again, it, we can become familiar, right? There's Mary, there's the angel, his name's Gabriel, they have a conversation. We can, we can lose sight and lose sense of the awe and the majesty and the gravity of this moment when Gabriel shows up, dispatched by God himself to go and set in motion the thing that would save all of mankind. What an amazing conversation. And he chooses this young woman to be the mother of Jesus. See, she wasn't prominent. She wasn't educated. She wasn't influential. She, she really was a nobody, at least to the world. She was a nobody, a young girl, a teenage girl, living in a town of no consequence, not making any waves in particular. On top of that, being a woman in a culture that did not respect or, or recognize the place and the value of woman. But God chooses her. He chooses her. See, in his eyes, she was chosen. She was set apart. She was called. She was special. She was highly favored. I love that. Highly favored. Let me ask you this morning, do you feel highly favored? I would venture to guess that most of us, if we had to think of those words highly favored, we would not think of ourselves. That sometimes the battles and the struggles of life and the world that we live in kind of put us in a posture with God where we're kind of going, does he know I'm even here? Let alone that I would be highly favored of God. Maybe you don't feel like you're prominent or educated, or influential, and maybe you feel this morning that you're a nobody. Nobody notices me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody values the contribution that I may make. But here's the good news. God doesn't see things the way we see things. More than that, God doesn't see you the way that you even see yourself. He doesn't see you the way that you see yourself. And he does things a different way. His kingdom is upside down. Christmas was upside down. The way Jesus came turned things upside down. The way that Jesus spoke about his father and spoke about us turned things upside down. He came to turn our lives upside down for all of the best reasons. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, the prophet says this, Speaking the words of the Lord, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
God doesn't play by our rules. God doesn't play by our rules. And how many of you know, you don't have to raise your hand, we make a lot of rules for ourselves, right? It's not, let alone the rules that other people make for us. Or don't do this and don't say that, and, right? Decorum and all of that. It used to be that you couldn't come to church if you were a woman if you weren't wearing a hat, right? Someone made up that rule if you weren't wearing a skirt. And all kinds of things, all kinds of rules that we just add to Scripture and say, well, the Bible and... And then we just add to that for ourselves. God doesn't play according to our rules because his kingdom is not like our world and our kingdom. He turns things upside down. See, and it's not just in the life of Mary that we see that he picks people that are uncommon or insignificant. See, in the Old Testament, there was a woman named Sarah who was too old to have a baby. So much so that when the angel came and spoke to her husband, and she overheard that she would have a baby, she laughed. <laughs> There's no way. Well, she was rebuked for the laugh. Why? Because the same thing holds true. There's nothing that's too difficult for God. That his words will never fail. If God said it, it settles it. I remember there used to be a bump bumper sticker. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The only problem with that sticker is the I believe it part. Whether you believe it or not doesn't have any bearing on whether or not it's settled. God said, said it, that settles it. Right. It's a done deal. That's right. God's word stands forever. So Sarah is too old. Elizabeth, who's referenced here in this story, she as well was too old and beyond an age and she'd never had kids. Her cousin Elizabeth never had a baby. And Gabriel says to Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth is with child. She's six months along. And it's really neat. After this, Mary goes to visit her. And it's an amazing encounter that they have. between It's Mary, Elizabeth, Jesus, John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit mixed into the whole. It's amazing the way God moves. David was too young. Gideon considered himself to be the least. He said it out loud. God said, I've chosen you, mighty warrior. Uh, kind of like Mary, I'm kind of troubled by what you're saying. Do you know who I am? I'm the least of the least of the least. My family is the least of a clan that is the least in a nation that is the least. We're the least. God says, no, I've chosen you. Samuel was just a boy. When he started ministering before the Lord, and I love for Samuel, when, as a boy ministering in the temple, it says that the voice of the Lord was rare. Yet he chooses to speak to this young boy, not too young, not too inexperienced. Along with him, you have Jehoash and Josiah, who were kings of Israel, Jehoash being the youngest, seven years old. When he was inaugurated and rose to the throne, and he ruled for 40 years and was a righteous king. Josiah was eight years old when he became. Can you imagine an eight year old king? 
right? It seems illogical, yet in God's kingdom, he says, this is my kingdom, this is my playground. I will do what I want to do. I will choose who I want to choose. I will empower who I want to empower. I want to call out whoever I want to call out. We see it in the lives of the disciples, the whole lot of them. Jesus, why would you pick these 12 guys? Out of everyone that was available, why would you pick these 12? For the same reason that he was born in a stable, because his kingdom is not like our kingdom. We have Paul the apostle. Out of everyone God could have picked to be a voice, he picks the guy who's the greatest opposition the one who st- everyone said there's no way. So much so that when he gets saved, even the disciples are going, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. There's no way. These, these guys who had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, when Paul gives his life to Jesus, they all go, I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah, we have half the New Testament today because God picked that man. God's kingdom is not like our kingdom. You see, God chooses unlikely, discouraged, broken, hurting, insignificant people to partner with him in the work of his kingdom. Let me read that again. God chooses unlikely, discouraged, broken, hurting, insignificant people to partner with him in the work of his kingdom. Consider that the first people to hear the news of Jesus' birth were not kings. They were shepherds. Shepherds. In that, cl- in that culture, shepherds were nothing. Sh- shepherding was the job when you did if you couldn't do anything else. You, I guess you could all watch sheep, right? Yet it's these smelly, stinky shepherds that God reveals to. The angels, a host, the heavenly host, appears to them and announces this news, the accessibility of the kingdom of God to the lowest rungs of the society. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. We celebrate an upside-down Christmas where God became a baby and he stepped into this world to give us access to the fullness of what God has for us. So back to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, blessed again means happy, but it means more than that. It means that you're graciously favored by God. That we're the recipients of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And even more than that, it means that God sees you. God sees you. He sees you right where you are. He's not forgotten about you. God sees you and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this mean? It's one of those phrases in scripture. Can we be honest for a second? We read sometimes, I read in the Bible, I'll read something and go, I have no idea what that means. It sounds good. But on a surface reading, what is that exactly? I could venture some guesses, but we understand there's a deeper meaning. Well, what are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit is the person who recognizes their absolute need for God. Absolute need 
for God. In fact, poverty of spirit is the starting point in a relationship with God. You cannot walk in relationship with God unless you are poor in spirit. See, God's kingdom is a kingdom of humility, not of pride. And so if we come to God with pride, we're not going to have access. We're not going to recognize our need and our, our lostness. But when we're poor in spirit, we recognize that we bring nothing to the table and he brings everything to the table. See, that, that, that list that I read, the unlikely, the broken, the hurting, that's all of us. We're all lost. We've all gone astray. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We bring nothing to the equation. He brings everything. And so he says, if you want to walk with me and be an, an, an inherit and be a part of the kingdom of heaven, empty yourself of all of those things that you think are your strengths and recognize your absolute need for him. C.H. Spurgeon, the famous pastor, preacher, theologian, said this, and I'm going to put the words up on the screen so you can follow along. He says, a ladder, if it is to be of any use, must have its first step near the ground, or feeble climbers will never be able to mount. It would have been a grievous discouragement to struggling faith if the first blessing had been given to the pure in heart. To that excellence, the young beginner makes no claim, while to poverty of spirit, he can reach without going beyond his line. Imagine this ladder and God saying, I'm calling you to climb this ladder with me. He puts the first rung within reach of our feebleness. I love that picture. Jesus doesn't start out saying, hey, blessed are the are the pure. He doesn't start there. He gets there. He talks about that, but he first says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because he is making his kingdom accessible to us. This is why Jesus came as a baby. Right? There's nothing threatening about a baby. We love babies. I love holding my wife, Megan. If there's a baby within a 10-yard 10, 10 radius of her, she is just like, boom, she's there. And she, would, she loves just holding babies. Nothing threatening about them. Jesus comes as a baby. Why? To express to us that his kingdom is accessible, that it's intimate, that it is close. And he ties it together with this first statement about his kingdom and his father's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And immediately he levels the playing field and says, it's all of you. It's all of you. You all are in need. You all need to be filled. So what does this mean for you and for me? I have two points this morning. The first is this. You need to know that an upside-down Christmas makes this statement about you. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. The baby in the manger screams, God has chosen you you. Now here's the thing, the reality, the rub, the frustration. You may not always feel it. You may not always feel like that's true, 
You may have a hard time believing that about yourself. See, Mary was greatly troubled at the words. You are highly favored. See, Mary knew who she was. Mary knew that she was a nobody. And not in a self-effacing, kind of self-deprecating kind of way. It was just the fact of the matter. She was a teenage girl who was not married, living, living in a culture who did not value her the way God valued her. And so when, when the angel says those words to her, blessed are you highly favored. And she's like, whoa, what? Is there a mistake? Are you at the right address? Did, maybe you're talking about the... The house next door, because I know that lady, and she's pretty awesome. How often when God comes to us and he says, hey, I love you, you are highly favored, I'm choosing you, and we stop and go, wait a minute, you sure, God? Because I know 10 other people who would do a better job. I know five other people that when I compare myself to them, you should probably go with them instead of me. I deal with this all the time. I imagine you do as well. God says to me, I choose you. Sometimes I'm troubled by those words, not because of who he is, but because I know me. I know me. Why would God choose me? I wouldn't choose me. But here's the reality that is made known at Christmas. The kingdom of God And the kingdom of heaven has been made accessible to us. Why wouldn't God choose you? Everything about Christmas screams, God has chosen you. Every time you look at that baby lying in the manger, whether it's the nativity scene on uh, maybe on a table in your house or in front of the Christmas tree, this Christmas season, my, my prayer would be that you just hear those words, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. See, it doesn't make any sense to us, but here's the reality. Those places that don't make sense to us is where God does his best work. The things that make sense to me, the things that seem right, right side up, God goes, well, I'm limited there because you got it all figured out. You think you know. You're comfortable. You're familiar. You're settled. I'm limited in what I can do in your life in that, in that kind of situation. But in the places where we're turned upside down and we're unsettled and we're confused, God says, awesome, this is my specialty because you need me. And he chooses us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 through 29, Paul writes these words, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. All right, let's pause there for a second. Think of the, the smartest person that you know or the smartest person you've known in history, right? How many of you thought of Albert Einstein? Anyone like, right? He jumps, jumps to the top of the list for many, right? The greatest thinkers, Aristotle, right? Edison, who fill in, just shout out a name. 
<laughs> Walt Disney has pretty great mind. Creative mind, which is, which is phenomenal. Anyone else? <laughs> okay, you go straight. You go straight to the Princess Bride. That's awesome. <laughs> we have. We're surrounded by people who say that they are the greatest thinkers of all time, and God says, "Whatever you bring to the table is foolishness." The very best you have to offer, the best minds in history, right? What's the the organization with the the high IQ? Mensa is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> morons <laughs> compared to God. <laughs> Fools. No disrespect. But man, God sure can put us in our place. Foolishness. The strongest person, the strongest leader, physically, emotionally, or whatever, God says, you're weak compared to me. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But I love this. This is God, how he describes us. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that none... Uh, so that no one may boast before him. So here's what scripture says about you. It says, says that you're foolish, weak, lowly, despised, and that you are a thing that is not. <laughs> Hallelujah to the glory of God. Why? Because when we are poor in spirit and we recognize that about ourselves, we avail ourselves to his infilling. To him saying, I chose you and I will fill you and I will do everything in you that you can't do for yourself. It doesn't make sense. It's upside down, but it's a beautiful thing. See, God's kingdom has one king. God's kingdom has one king. And that will never change. It's, it's been that way for eternity. It will never change. He has one king. So we can't attain to that role. But here's what I love about that one king. As he comes as a baby and makes his kingdom accessible to us, he says, it, we, we know this, that he is a gracious, loving, just, and saving king. And that king has chosen you. That king is inviting you to be a part of his kingdom. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, it goes on in the next verse. He chose you before the world was formed. For some people, that's thousands of years. Some people, that's billions of years. It doesn't really matter. Before any of this existed, the Bible says he chose you. And Jesus came as a baby to remind us of that fact and make it accessible to us. What an amazing invitation.
The second thing is this, you have a role to play in that kingdom. I think sometimes we come to salvation and think, well, I'm saved and that's great, and I'm just going to enjoy the ride until I get to heaven. But the reality is that God calls us to play a role in his kingdom. In the Christmas story, it was Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, Simeon and Anna, who were waiting at the temple when they bring Jesus as a boy to be dedicated. And and Simeon and Anna both have prophetic words, and they sing these songs over Jesus and essentially say, we can die now because we've seen the Lord. The shepherds, the innkeeper, the wise men, and everyone else who factors into the story who's not listed, right? It's like extras in a movie. There were people in the background. They're all important. If we didn't have extras in a movie, they'd be weird, right? There's all of these people who factor into the story that we don't even realize. And God says, I chose you to be a part of what I'm doing. I'm cho- I chose you to be a part of this story a part of this narrative and their roles may seem insignificant but they're not every person every role is critical that's the christmas story but i believe what god would say is your story your story is as much a god story as the christmas story is that he is choosing you, he has chosen you, and he's inviting you to play a role. You see, the Christmas story didn't end 2,000 years ago. It's still happening. It's not something we simply remember. It's something we're participating in. We're still a part of that story, and your role is critical. Jesus, in John 15, when he's talking to his disciples, there's a corner that they turn in their relationship. He says this to them in verse 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. See, Jesus chose us, but there's, the, there's this next invitation to participate in the work of the kingdom. And immediately in our thinking, the enemy wants to introduce these thoughts not you. What do you have to offer? You're too broken. You're too messed up. You have too much history. You're not skilled enough. You're not good enough. Fill in the blank. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I not only chose you, I don't even consider you a servant. I consider you a friend because I'm making the business of the kingdom of heaven known to you. To you. He says, now join me in the work that I'm doing. So as we celebrate Christmas, we think about people who don't know Jesus. Those who who have not put their faith in him. Those who have not yet received him. That our assignment, our role to play, not just through Christmas, but in this world, is to shine that light so that others would know that God has chosen them as well. 
to declare that, to discover what it is that God, the role that God's calling us to play in his kingdom. Well, God, it doesn't seem like there's a good fit for me. Good, you're in good company. Most of the people in the Bible fit that bill. Why would you choose me? Because God knows what he's doing. And he's not subject to the limitations of this world. He's not subject to the limitations that you even put on your own life. What he's saying is, would you empty yourself? Would you be poor in spirit and recognize your absolute need for him? And then allow him to invite you and bring you into something that would establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Amen? Let's stand together and invite the worship team to come forward. Church, this is Christmas upside down. This is Christmas upside down. Christmas upside down is not a spectator sport. We get to participate. We get to be involved in, in the invitation, at the invitation of Jesus himself to be a part of this story. Can we pray? Father God, thank you that you chose us. That you chose us before the foundation of the world. And because you chose us, you sent your son. You made a way for us to be reconciled, to be a part of this kingdom, to be a part of this God story. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who doesn't feel worthy, who doesn't feel like they fit, who feels insignificant, who doesn't feel like their part really matters may even feel that God doesn't even see them. God, I pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring clarity, you would bring understanding, and Lord, that your voice would just ring in our hearts and in our minds, that you have chosen us, that you have called us. And even as clear as it was for Mary, hearing from the angel Gabriel, God, that we would hear your call on our lives, the invitation to join you, to walk with you, be loved by you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.